this lesson, we will begin our discussion on promises to create trusts. Now, much like in common law, even in equity, the general context is that a bare promise is unenforceable. Now, if you're familiar with contract law, which is usually the first year subject in any general LLB, you'd note that in contractual obligations, you need to have some form of consideration uh, in order for a particular promise, a particular statement to be enforceable or valid. As noted by the seminal academic Ewan McKendrick, uh, who noted that consideration is the badge of enforceability for any contract. Similarly, in relation to equity and even uh, in trust law, general purpose bare promises are not enforceable. However, in this particular context, we must consider three specific types of promises which are enforceable, which court allows for enforcement. The first are deeds. Secondly, ones which have been given for consideration. And thirdly, those which have been done so with a detrimental reliance. Now, the primary of these three is in fact deeds, and that's what we will discuss first. So in relation to promises for deeds, also known as covenants, the position in common law is that if something is contained in a deed, if a promise is contained in a deed, it can be enforced by those who are party to it. Now, note this very important and critical element that the person or persons who are party to it can only enforce it. The issue here is in relation to privity. However, consideration immaterial in relation to these covenants. Now, what we mentioned earlier was that the common law position, specifically in relation to contract, is that a promise is unenforceable unless there is some form of consideration uh, in place. However, this goes under the ambit of a covenant, which means as long as privity exists, it is enforceable. Have a look at Cannon and Hartley, a case available in your case summaries to get a better grasp and understanding of this. As opposed to in common law, in equity, the enforcement must be by the intended beneficiary. Now this creates another seminal problem, which is the beneficiary himself or herself is not party to the deed. That's the whole purpose of a trust instrument of a deed. Therefore, he or she cannot enforce the promise prima facie. However, the beneficiary may have redress in relation to the Contracts Rights of Third Parties Act of 1999. Now, what's interesting to note in this context is that we are dealing primarily with something within the realms of equity, whereas contracts rights of third parties is ostensibly an act within the ambit of common law. Now, Penner, who is a leading academic in relation to trust law, suggests that there is a certain distinction between what we consider as a covenant, what we discussed earlier, which does not necessarily require consideration, and contracts as well. So due to this absence of consideration in the former, we create this notion, this change and a distinction between these two types of promises. Therefore, he proposes that the act itself does not apply. Now next, we must look at where the beneficiary comes within the ambit of marriage consideration. Now in a modern day and age, this might seem quite complex and at times even unnecessary. But the purpose of this is, it's allowed where the wife is to control the property she bought into the marriage. And the purpose it was established in the first place was so that a property remains with a certain group of people, be it a family or a particular set of relatives. Otherwise, for instance, if she died and had no children, the family property would go to the husband and his heirs. 
now if she dies and had no children it goes back to her own heir so it, it stays in the family so this was the primary purpose in order to make sure that property uh, stays within a particular family and the most notable aspect of this is that equity holds that marriage consideration is considered the most valuable type of consideration however there is an argument in ray cook a case available in your case summaries that this will only work for rights which the covenanter had at the time he made the covenant not in respect of the rights acquired later but in that case in relation to ray cook the disposition of a painting was valid but the proceeds of the sale of the painting were not apart from ray cook consider lloyds and harper as well the facts of this case related to an underwriter's father whose contract guaranteed to pay off any defaulted creditors of the son this was held to be valid it was a trust for an uncertain amount to be paid at an uncertain future date so why exactly can it not be reconciled with cook have a look at both cases available in your case summaries in order to get a better understanding of why their lordships decided in the way that they did that was a quick outline of promises to create trust uh, we discussed the position in relation to common law when it comes to bare promises as well as that of equity and how exactly we can reconcile the position of deeds promises given for consideration as well as detrimental reliance in relation to this whole concept of covenants and how it differentiates with bare promises in relation to even contract law in the next lesson we will begin our discussion on an interesting area in relation to trust law which are public and private purpose trusts